Welcome to the Legacy of John Williams podcast. I'm your host, Maurizio Caschetto, and this is a new episode of The Legacy Conversation. My guest today is esteemed conductor Ben Palmer. Ben Palmer is chief conductor of the Deutsche Philharmonie Merck in Darmstadt and founder and artistic director of the Covent Garden Symphonia. He regularly guest conducts orchestras in the United Kingdom and across mainland Europe in programs of both classical and film repertoires. Ben Palmer is one of Europe's foremost specialists in conducting live to film. He has conducted many times film concerts of virtually all the films with music by John Williams, such as the Star Wars trilogy, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Jaws, Home Alone, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Jurassic Park. conversation, Ben talks about his musical formation, his experience as a conductor of films with orchestra, and his love and admiration for the music of John Williams. So thank you, Ben Palmer, for being my guest today on the Legacy of John Williams podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much for, for having me. I'm very happy to, to talk with you because you're probably one of the foremost conductors of live to film uh, concerts, which is uh, having so much successes all around the world and is starting to get bigger and bigger also in Europe. I'd like to talk with you mainly about your experience in conducting film concerts, but also your opinions about John Williams' music, which you've become quite a specialist in the last few years. But to start, I'd like to to ask you about your musical formation and how, how did you become a professional musician? Um, well, I as a as a kid i played the trumpet i think i started learning when i was uh, when i was 7 years old um and I, i i enjoyed it and i you know took it quite seriously and i played in youth orchestras and and this kind of thing and and you know wind bands but it was never it was never going to be my my profession i think until uh there was one youth orchestra course when i was 15 years old and it was the first time i was given a place in the in the county youth orchestra um so i played in the kind of regional youth orchestra and, and when when i played for the first time in the county youth orchestra um we played tchaikovsky's fifth symphony and uh, the night of the concert and for the next one or two nights i i didn't sleep essentially I, it was it was like i had been injected with some kind of drug um and and that was it basically for me uh, from that from that moment onwards um i my my parents bought me a new a new instrument a new trumpet because I've been playing on a 
on an old instrument which belonged to my uncle which didn't the valves didn't really move very well um, <laughs> and um, we, we have this system of um, grade exams and I, I passed my grade eight um, sort of around that age and as a reward for that because I think my parents thought I would never really practice but I, I finally did and I passed the exam and so they bought me a new instrument and, and then I, I practiced every day for a year I was quite proud of that I even used to take a mouthpiece with me on holiday mm. um, and from that moment I, I sort of knew until that point I had wanted to be a cartoonist that was going to be my or some kind of artist that was going to be my my career I thought uh, but from from that from that Tchaikovsky Five concert, um, I was totally hooked, and um, so I, I went to university in um, Birmingham University to study music, uh, and I, I took my first steps as a conductor there, but really focused more on uh, on composition, and I stayed in Birmingham uh, for two years to do a master's in composition, and then after that, I I came to London and um did a bit began a, a a phd as a composer at the royal academy of music mm -hmm. um but after only a few months i think maybe four four months into a three-year course um i realized it absolutely wasn't wasn't for me um and and i and i left and i i sort of said right okay I'm, i'll be a conductor then and i i always knew even when i began the phd that i would be either a composer who conducted or a conductor who composed. But my suspicion mm. is that if I went to study conducting, I would never do any composition. And of course, as soon as I started conducting, that that was true. I, I stopped composing, I suppose, for about five, six, six or seven years. And I, and I do a few projects now. Every year I started composing again in 2012, I think. Um, uh, but but I, don't, I don't have very much time uh, to, to compose. Uh, so I only do a few, a few things every year. But yeah, and, I, and so I just uh, started going to watch people's rehearsals and I started applying for jobs with amateur orchestras and amateur choirs and things and gradually built up a, um, some experience and a sort of portfolio of work. You know, every, every, every uh, evening of the week, I used to go off to a different place and rehearse a different choir or orchestra. Hmm. Um, and uh, I think in 2007, I started an orchestra uh, my, my orchestra in London called Covent Garden Symphonia. And so that's been going now mm -hmm. for, uh, well, I suppose 13, 13 years, something like that. Um, and it was with them uh, in 2013 that I conducted my first film. Um, and that was a, a silent film called The Snowman, which is very, very well known in the UK. I think mm. it's shown every year at Christmas on, on TV. So everybody knows it. And I found that very, very... Uh, I, yeah, kind of very addictive, actually, conducting films. Mm -hmm. and, and it was through that that I eventually began to, to, to start being asked to be uh, to, 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 to go and conduct films for other orchestras. Um, and, and so that's sort of how I, how I became a conductor uh, and how I got into conducting films, really. And during your formation years and during your study years, uh, uh, were you acquainted with with music for films? Uh, was it something that was already on your radar? Uh, I mean, in terms of interest, I mean, or did you have an interest in the art form uh, when you when you were studying, or was it mainly you know the classical literature? I, I definitely wasn't, and I suppose would would stay say still I'm not a sort of massive film nerd. Um, mm -hmm. However, I have always been. A film music nerd because as a trumpet player you just get all the best stuff and i mean i i remember 
the the first bit of film music I think that I ever well that, that I remember playing um, was was Jurassic Park, um, and uh, I think I was twelve or thirteen perhaps, and and we played it. Um, it was actually I, I was going moving from from the sort of junior school where I went up to the next school, um, and in that summer holiday between the two years, the, the the school, the bigger school where I was going, had a had a had an orchestra tour to Spain, and they needed another first trumpet to go. So I went, and and on the program was this suite from Jurassic Park, and and you can just imagine as a kind of 12, 13 year old kid, this was like a dream to kind of go around. <laughs> and play this music and you know the the you know the amazing the helicopter ride bit and he just and it was just the most exciting thing ever and and from that moment I was always pr pretty pretty obsessed I don't really do things by halves I was pretty obsessed with 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 John Williams and the music that he wrote and and you know that was mostly mostly I I, I tended to learn the music before I saw the films actually um mm. uh and and so it was it was a kind of terrifically exciting way to discover the music because very often when you see a film um so so much of the detail of the music is actually hidden behind you know things exploding and and dialogue and all this kind of thing whereas when you when you learn the music first it's a very kind of pure way to experience it um but so that was always that was always if you like on my radar um but it, it's it's interesting as a as a conductor before I began conducting films, the thing that I was um, interested in, and I, you know, if you if you asked somebody, you know, what what what's Ben's specialism, um, it was historical performance, and and particularly mm. Haydn, the music of Haydn is mm. is it's my 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 lifetime ambition to conduct all of them. I think so far I, I've conducted a. a 85 of 107 symphonies. Just, just a few. <laughs> just a few. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I'll, I'll complete those before I'm too old, and then I can try and tick off something else. But, um, but, and, and, and so when I conduct, started conducting films, I, uh, I, I felt as if it was as different from historical performance as it was possible to be, because you know, if you're conducting a Haydn symphony, you know, there are some kind of, if you like, kind of ground rules, some you know, things to do with the style the number of musicians, how you set them out, um, yeah. how you interpret what, what the composer wrote, uh, how you, you know, the, the notation, the style, these things that you need to know. And when I began conducting films, I thought, oh, this is really as different from that as, as, as possible because when you're conducting a Haydn symphony, you sort of do all this preparation of this study, but then in a, in a concert, you're free. And if, yeah. if you're working with a really, you know, an orchestra that you understand and they understand you, you can feel almost as if you're kind of improvising and, and, and there's, yeah, there's, there's a kind of an enormous freedom to, to go in any direction and, and some, you know, an oboe player does something beautiful and everyone says, okay, let's go in this direction. Yeah. Whereas a film, you're trying to repro uh, reproduce almost sort of obsessively um, something that was recorded yeah. however many years ago. Um, but then the more film, and, and of course the, the timing, the precision, syncing up the, the music with, with what's, what's happening in the picture is, is really paramount. That is the most important thing. Yep. But then the more films that I, 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 I did, and, and particularly really when I got into conducting the John Williams films, uh, so Home Alone and, and E.T., which were the first ones that I, that I, that I did, um, I realized that I was doing exactly the same, I was going through exactly the same process that I would when I was preparing the Haydn Symphony, except actually I had first-hand 
material. I could go back to the original soundtrack. Yeah. You can even look at the sketches. And, you know, very often what is sent to you in the score um, for, from Joanne Kane is, is actually sometimes slightly different from what is really on the, on the original soundtrack. Um, and even the, the conductor file, the, you know, the, 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 the video file that I have on my monitor as the conductor, which with the punches and streamers, the, the Newman yeah. system to keep you in time with the film, sometimes even those don't actually line up with how it is on the original soundtrack or potentially mm. one might say how it should be, how it ought to be. And so there's a great kind of voyage of dis discovery. You can go as deep as you want to. Uh, you can go a, a, as deep as you want to go. You can, if you like, conduct very superficially and just just follow exactly the notation and mm -hmm. uh, and 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 get the sync right according to the the conductor monitor. But actually, you can go much much deeper than that. And you know, my my film scores are are, are covered in things. You know, senza vibrato, poco vibrato. I write in all the portamento where you know where they slide from one note to another. You know, maybe there's a there's a horn note that or a little something that's you know, is in the score, but if you listen, it's very clearly not there on the original mm. soundtrack. Um, there's there's even a, a place in ET where there's a there's a player error. There's a there's a there's a mistake uh, on the soundtrack in in the Glockenspiel part. Um, and of course, uh, officially that is wrong. But I always <laughs> send to the librarian a little <laughs> insert for the percussion player to say, you know, please please play this like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and what I love about that is that actually you can get so close. You know, if you have enough rehearsal time and a, and a really fantastic orchestra, um, you can get actually incredibly close to really reproducing not just the the, the synchronicity, but the sound and the colours and the style. Yeah. You know, everything to do with really making the live performance sound like the original soundtrack. And that the satisfaction I get from that in combination with the satisfaction of, you know, let's say getting the, the chords in the right place when Indiana Jones <laughs> is uh, punching whoever he's punching at that particular moment. It's an incredible, incredible thrill. And it's a very different experience from conducting a, a, a classical concert, but it is, n you know, no less exciting. And of course, the audience reaction, you know, I think often often orchestras feel feel a little bit like rock stars at a film with, film, <laughs> film with orchestra concerts. <laughs> You know, when I did, um, I did the German premiere of um, of Azkaban, and uh, we did we did two performances in in uh, Stuttgart and Nuremberg, and I don't think I've ever seen an audience that was so full of of young people, of kids. Yeah. Maybe Forty, forty-five percent of the audience was were were, were young people. Um, I also know from speaking to people after performances and you know from the questions and comments i get on social media afterwards that many 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 people who come to these these shows have never heard an orchestra before yeah. somehow they know that seeing a film they love in combination with a live orchestra is, is going to be something that's that's worth that's worth going to and that i think is something to really be treasured um and i think it's something you know it's never going to replace Bruckner symphonies or or Mahler or mozart but as as a, um, a, you know, I think it's, it's, it's equally as important as those things.
I think, uh, especially the films by John Williams that you are performing, once again, a great gateway for young people to experience for their first time a live orchestra and seeing live musicians and see also uh, how big is the role of, of the music when you when you see a concert, a film concert, when you, especially when it's well done, uh, you can totally see this match made in heaven in many cases, as they are, are in the case of John Williams' films. And in the sense, I would like to ask you, uh, how much time do you spend just looking at the film and studying the score? So how long is the preparation for you? Uh, that depends really entirely on uh, how long before the concert I'm in. <laughs> um, okay. Um, in the case, for instance, of this uh, of the uh, of the Azkaban in Germany, uh, it was slightly slightly last minute. I think I had less than a month, um, and I mean you you'll know there is so much music in Azkaban. Yeah. Um, I mean these films they come in these um, A3 volumes. So yeah. this is. Act Act Two of, uh, of 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 ET I've got on my desk yeah. at the moment, um, and it, you know it's probably a couple of centimeters thick, uh, and Act One is a bit thinner because there's a bit less music in it, and uh, both acts, so both halves of Azkaban, uh, are, are thicker than most films <laughs> in in total, um, and you know for instance in Jaws, you know, at the beginning you play for a few seconds and then you have a couple of minutes off and then there's another yeah. cue for a 30 seconds and then you have eight minutes off. Whereas, yeah. in, you know, so these big, big gaps. Um, whereas in, in, in Harry Potter 3, I think the longest gap is perhaps three and a half minutes where the orchestra yes. is playing. So it's a huge amount of music to learn. But in a, in a sort of more normal situation where uh, I'm, I'm, I'm asked uh, uh, with, with a long lead-in time, um, I will, I, you know, I'll go full full geek on it, and I'll I'll buy a copy of the DVD. Uh, I'll get hold of the copies of the soundtrack, um, and you know the different versions of the soundtrack. Soundtrack, because often the the sort of soundtrack album is quite different yes. from yeah. actually what ends up being on the on the picture, which sometimes is useful and sometimes is frustrating. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's much easier, I must say, to learn a John Williams film with with punches and streamers than it is to learn a silent film like a Charlie Chaplin mm. or or Metropolis or something where you don't have any technology to to keep you in time with the film. I've done lots of these silent pictures where um, I I have to work out how to sync the music only using the the film itself, using what what I can see in the picture. And that really takes months and months and months i mean i think when i learned the gold rush this chaplain film which is 88 minutes long uh it took me about three months from, mm. from start to finish uh, and i mean at the moment i'm i'm learning um modern times uh chaplain's modern times which i wanted to do because it's it's uh supposed to be the the most difficult side film it's actually they they, they only yeah. they only allow certain conductors to do it and I've, ha yeah. I've actually had to sign sign a sort of um, disclaimer contract promising to prepare properly so my, okay. my performance is in the beginning of march next year uh and I've, I've had the score ready for a month and a bit and i'm starting to work, work on that and uh, the, the other reason i wanted to do it is because the conductor of the original soundtrack was alfred newman so that's yes. um, quite good uh quite a nice a nice nice feeling for me because obviously one feels very close to him through the star wars films <laughs> Thank you. 
essentially I, I will I will use as much time as I have. Yeah. Um, and it's possible to, to prepare a film very, very quickly. Um, but the more time I have, um, I really enjoy going as deep into it as I can. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's different from from studying a classical piece because a classical piece, again, usually one has much more time. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm learning a symphony, I, I, I usually have more than a year's notice, and you know, eighteen months or two years often. And so I'll, I'll get a score early on, and I'll have a first read through, and I'll you know do a, a sort of very gentle analysis, and then I might leave it for three or month, three or four months mm -hmm. or six months, and then pick it up again, and, and just gradually let it percolate in my in my head. And with a film, it's ever so slightly different because one needs to understand how the music's constructed. You want to understand how the themes function. You want to understand how the piece is, is put together. But it's like an opera in, the, opera in the sense that you need to understand all of the musical things with respect to how it integrates with the film. That's the amazing thing, actually, about the John Williams films is that the best bits of music usually go with the best bits of the film. Um, it's very, very striking understanding where that moment, where those golden moments in the film are, where the sync of, of the music and the picture has to be not only very good, but has to be utterly perfect. You know, I'm thinking of E.T. Yeah. E. touching Elliot's forehead, that yeah. kind of thing, after that huge long build-up, you know, that whole sequence with the bike chase is, is, is crazy. And Those are probably the textbook examples for many... Uh, film aficionados, but also aspiring film composers. Uh, those the, the last 10, 15 minutes of E.T. or the truck chase in Raiders of the Lost Ark, or you know the the barrel chase in Jaws.
those are, as you were saying, uh, are the golden moments. And usually they are the sequences, the moments of the film that the people most remember because the, the union between uh, the storytelling, the, the direction, of course, the, the, the rhythm, the pace of the film and the, the elements of the music coming and uh, creating this magnificent ebb and flow. How important is it for you to find the architecture of the, of the whole piece, of the whole film? When you're when you're preparing, and also when you're uh, working in rehearsal with the orchestra, do you talk with them about the film, about their memories of the film, perhaps as well, to get them in the mood? It's such a nice question, and it's such a lovely thought to be able to think about having the possibility of doing that. The saddest thing I think really about conducting film with orchestra is that we're always limited for time. In the UK, um, deep breath deep breath everybody we normally have one three-hour rehearsal the day before and then a three-hour three-hour general rehearsal on the day and then one or two shows so when i've done et when i've done home alone at the royal Albert hall that's that's what we've that's what we've had that means that you've in, a, in the in the three-hour prior rehearsal you've got time to play everything i don't know 1.3 times or something you know <laughs> so <laughs> okay. there's really not there's not a lot of time to stop and smell the roses in 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 the same way that you might for a Mahler symphony where I might have three or four days of rehearsal for it. Um, so I need to go in with every single question that might come up already mm -hmm. answered. Um, I need to have decided absolutely what I'm beating any changes that I need, I need to find the most succinct and uh, economic way of expressing that to the orchestra. Um, yeah, so I mean, for instance, when I'm conducting Raiders, um, I mean, you mentioned the truck, the truck chase, 9M1 is the yeah. 9M1. Uh, when I was, um, yeah, my first John Williams film was, was Home Alone. Mm -hmm. um, and this was, uh, I think this was perhaps December, 2017, I think, December 2017, with the Royal Northern Sinfonia uh, up in uh, in Newcastle in this beautiful concert hall called the Sage Gateshead. Gateshead. The tech director who was who was running the film from IMG uh, is this fantastic, fantastic colleague of mine called Alan Cox. Um, he's a total hero of mine, and he 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 works very often. We work we work together on on the on the IMG titles, so mm -hmm. Casino and, and all the John Williams films and so yeah. on. Um, and uh, I knew at that point that I was going to be conducting Raiders in April 20, 2018, so in sort of four, 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 five months' time. And uh, and he said to me, "I'll look out for nine M one." And I said, "Oh, well, you know, nine M one." He said, "Well, there's um, there's this little tiny little thing right at the end of the queue um, where the truck drives into the marketplace, um, and you know, it, it sort of goes into that." Um, into the stall, in, in, into the building, yeah. and then everybody rushes out with the yeah. stall, and this sort of awning comes down. It goes ding, bang, 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 and 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 the, there's a sort of little bounce as the awning falls into place, which needs yeah. to line up with a, with a third beat of the bar. Yeah, and bear in mind this comes at the end of this truck chase where. Uh, you know, you've had all the da -da 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 stuff in the horns, you know, and it's all this racing, everybody's scrabbling around, and then where everything kind of stops and it goes to this, um, you know, the sort of cowboy dun 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 dun, um, <laughs> you know, this kind of cowboy riff thing, which you know then gradually speeds up and speeds up yeah. and speeds up. 
you know, so the, the whole way through this queue, you've got, I mean, there, there must be, I don't know, tens, if not, you know, more than 100 sync points to hit, little things to hit along the way. But actually, just at the very end, it, 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 the pace just kind of flows on, it moves yeah. on. And it's very, very easy to just miss this little queue. And of course, it's not the kind of, it's not a big sync point like the T-Rex coming in and saving the day at the end of Jurassic Park. It's not one of those big ones, but it, as a sort of personal pride thing. So Alan said to me, look out for the end of 9M1. And I said, oh, you know, is it not? And he said, well, you know, I, I've done a lot of these and, um, you know, it's, it's normally about one out of eight or nine where, you know, that's absolutely in the right place. Um, and I think so far, I can't remember how many, how many, I think I've done 11 or 12 shows of Raiders and I'm, I'm 12 out of 12. I haven't missed it yet. So, but that one, that one, is really hard. It's a re it's one of the most challenging genre interviews. There's no doubt about it because it's extremely hard rhythmically. It's extremely hard for the sync. Um, you know, it's difficult for intonation. It's 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 hard in every way that you could possibly imagine. Um, and that one, I always say to the orchestra, look, I've got a bet running with the tech director. Please um, <laughs> go go with me. And and I, you know, I always we get to the end, and and very often you see the violinists just look up just to check the screen and they see the awning come down and and then there's a sort of collective nod from the orchestra well done you know we did it we did possible to have a great deal of fun and to sort of share some of these moments but sadly there isn't the time to, yeah. to, to, to stop and talk about inspiration and, and, and colour and feeling it's really just a case of actually giving them the information that they need which means that by the time we get to the concert we know we know what we have to do yeah. um, having said that I think really and this sort of goes back a little to, to the, the sort of question you were, you were saying, point you were making before, is that I think the art to this, to conducting films, um, is to make it feel for the orchestra and particularly make it feel for the audience as if somehow there is a flow, as if it is flowing. Um, and it's very, very easy, I think, for, for a film with orchestra performance to feel quite mechanical. That, that's not just to do with how it's performed, but it also has to do with the film itself. So, for instance, yes. I've done Casino Royale a couple of times um, and just in December with the, uh, with the Halle, I did Skyfall. And both yes. of those um, have uh, punches and streamers, but I also have a click track. Mm -hmm. um, now, I, in, in dialogue with the tech director in the orchestra, control who in the orchestra has the click. Um, I prefer to have as few players on click as possible mm -hmm. so that I can still if you like, be in charge of the flow yeah. of how things go. Um, but the John Williams films, I, th there's a click available, but I don't use it. Um, and, and so that means that actually you can 
you can approach a sync point in a number of different ways. Um, you can you can just follow the you can just follow the punches exactly yeah. and line it up fine, okay. or you can potentially get the tiniest bit ahead. I mean, we're talking you know a, a, a quarter of a beat or a third yeah. of a beat or even half it, you know, and and then allow the orchestra to kind of bloom to blossom into one of these moments. And very often, actually, when you go back to the original soundtrack. That's what John Williams does. He gets ever slightly ahead of his own punches and yeah. streamers yeah. And, and then just lets the orchestra kind of flower into these moments. And it, it, it sounds kind of stupid to say it, but the films that I know really, really well, so Jaws, Raiders and Jurassic Park, they're the ones I've done the most. Actually, in E.T. now as well. I feel almost as if I'm, I'm dancing with the punches yeah. and streamers. It sounds ridiculous, but I know so intimately exactly where every streamer is and exactly how every punch arrives and what that means is that i i know if i if i place the orchestra here okay that works but if i place the orchestra here then by the time the sound of the orchestra develops then it hits the audience at exactly the place where the cut in the film is um or where you know the thing happens whatever it is on screen yeah. um yeah e each time i learn one of these films it's it's a kind of it's a bit of a voyage it's a, i always equate it with um uh, with getting into a car you know in principle one knows how to drive a car but whenever you get into a new car you know you know okay the steering wheel's here and the gear sticks here and the pedals are there but every clutch has a different biting point every car accelerates in a different way the, the braking point is always different and and it's always like that with a film you, you can do as much homework as you like at home but when you're there doing it live it feels different and there are places where it is impossible it is impossible for something to stay absolutely, absolutely in tempo because there will be just one bar that humans just can't get round yeah. in, in the prescribed tempo. So what I'll do is three bars, four bars, six bars before is I'll move forward. I mean, we're talking the tiniest amount, you know, we're talking one, two percent, really almost, you know, something that is unnoticeable. But then I might have that two or three percent spare in this difficult bar so that at the next sync point, the orchestra is in the right place. Yeah. Um, and you can also do that for an emotional effect. Uh, you can do that to allow a bit of time for a subito piano or for some color, you know, whatever it is. But those things, just as you only learn those things with, with the symphonic repertoire, you know, pieces like Enigma Variations or, you know, Brahms symphonies, Beethoven symphonies that I've done, you know, tens of times, let's say, you know where all the little corners are. And it's exactly the same with, with, with these the John Williams films because it's real music and... Yeah humans performing it um, react to it in a certain way and certain things are possible and certain things aren't possible and and you have to find a way through it and I mean it, in that regard E.T. is one of the most challenging because you know as we all know the, the end of the film um, Spielberg said look just you you record it as yeah. a piece of music and I'll, I'll cut the film to it um, and that means really that I need to be so on top of how John Williams actually conducted it himself on the original soundtrack to to to, to reproduce that live. Um, but when you get that right, there's something I think incredibly moving for an audience that they 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 can see. They know that the film is unfolding how it always unfolds. They know that that isn't that's immovable. You know, it's it's not going to change. Yeah. But somehow the combination of this film that is always how it has always been and and seeing 
75, 80, 90 people on stage scurrying around, you know, really <laughs> fighting for their lives yeah. to hit this sync point for you. And, and I mean, you know, when, let's say when the bike takes off in ET or when, you know, the T-Rex comes in at, uh, at the end of Jurassic Park or, you know, when you see the dinosaurs for the first time or, you know, wh whatever it is, um, you know, Ben Gardner's head, all these things. Yeah. When you get those moments in the right place, that response, you know, the, the hairs on, on my arm are standing up just talking to you about it. It's a really kind of visceral thing. And I, I think for many people who haven't experienced a film, film with orchestra, they don't really see the point. My my father or father said always sort of sort of said to me, "Yeah, you know, I I, I understand, but you know, what's the point?" And, and, <laughs> but then he came to ET and he was just he was blown away by it. And, um, I think you know you really have to have a heart of stone not not <laughs> to be moved by it. You know. The fact that the music also is so organically uh, conceived and written and performed, uh, the music of John Williams has this unique quality that it feels like a living, breathing thing, even when you hear it just as a piece of music. And in this sense, uh, did you ever try to to imagine how it would be to, to perform some of these cues as a piece of music? Like sometimes John Williams did that, you know, for E.T. for example, he did this beautiful 10-minute suites of the basically the last 10 minutes and he did it also for other uh, climactic uh, sequences from his most popular films but uh, do you see possible to perform perhaps the track chase from Raiders live on stage only as a piece of music or do we still need there is still something missing if you get what I mean I see exactly what you mean um uh, if if I may I'll answer your question by answering a slightly different question which is somebody asked me recently um does, for instance, performing Adventures on Earth, which is this this sort of suite you mentioned, uh, which sort of brings together uh, a sort of condensed version of the ending of E.T., yeah. does performing that in concert, has that changed since you've been conducting the film? And the answer absolutely is yes, because in my brain, um, you know, the, the speed at which... For me, that now has to go in the speed that it goes at the film, or else yeah. it feels a little bit wrong. Having said that, I do enjoy having real freedom to take yeah. some time. Uh, and I think, you know, I suspect that's also something that, that John Williams himself enjoys conducting these, these cues in concert um, is actually is not being wedded to the film and is giving them a, a sort of life beyond the film. I mean, I'm sure we've all seen these incredible clips 
uh, from the from the Vienna Philharmonic. Yes. Concert. Um, I was uh, actually there. I was yeah, actually there. I have, I have to say, I've, I've, as, as soon as as soon as it was happening, I've never regretted um, not being somewhere more because <laughs> so, it turned out not only that, of course, as expected, everything looked and sounded amazing, but everyone I knew from the film with Auction World was there, and I thought, oh, that's that's a mistake. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't possible for me to be there, sadly. But anyway, that's um, that's another story. But. Um, I yeah, it's it's I think always helpful um, when you're conducting just a piece of film music and concert to know the context to understand. And I mean, of course, usually when you're not actually conducting with the screen, you do have a bit more time and you can talk to the orchestra yeah. um, about what is what is happening in the film at that moment. Um, and actually, that's often very helpful because you know, as we know, audiences listen with their listen with their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds funny to say it, but you know, when, when you when you see the film with the music, the music's very very clear. But without the picture, the music can. I mean, not not necessarily with with John Williams, but some other composers, the music is not always so clear. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a very very interesting thing for me now to conduct these pieces that I know so well from mm -hmm. from, from the film performances to conduct them in concert. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely affected by, by how they are in the film in their original purest versions. Um, but yeah, it, I, it feels like a, a naughty treat to be able to just linger over a beautiful harmony change, um, you know, or a, or a sort of a horn solo and just give the player time, which yeah. when, when you're following, following punches and streamers, you have to just very gently manhandle them through it, which yeah. sometimes is a, is a shame. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was I was thinking that uh, I was making the point about the track chains of Raiders because uh, it, it it's one it's probably one of the uh, most popular uh, pieces, for, especially for John Williams and film music fans. Yeah, it's very iconic. So, but the fact that uh, it has its own uh, storytelling quality in it in the sense that we can uh, listen to it on the soundtrack album, for example, uh, close our eyes and relive the film, of course, it's the most uh, obvious thing to do, but also we can follow the, the, the musical structure because it has a structure. And perhaps John Williams himself would never conduct the piece as is in a concert because maybe you know he doesn't feel very comfortable with the key changes he made uh, in a certain moment, but because he had to do because you know he had to follow the film and so on. But actually, it sounds to me one of the most organic pieces uh, in his uh, vast repertoire in that sense, because I can listen to it and appreciate it for its musical core values, for its storytelling qualities. And also because it's very, you know, it's very visceral. It's so exciting. And when when the Indiana Jones uh, theme kicks uh, in at the end, all, also those tiny bits, like you were mentioning, like the the, the tiny sync points where the the tent goes down. It, it's so it's so tiny, but it's so essential. And Raiders is full of those moments. For, for me, the thing which is astonishing, and I, I don't use the word lightly, which is astonishing about John Williams, is that. The music, as as you're just saying, completely correctly, the music in combination with the film is is a kind of miracle. Yeah, it's a it, yeah. it's something that feels completely natural, and and it's not as if he Mickey Mouse is the whole way through. It's not as if yeah. every everything that happens on screen 
has a has a there's not a reaction in the music to everything but there's enough that you know that everything is calculated but when you switch the screen off the music is still a miracle on its own and that's yeah. the point and I, I mean i think yes for instance the truck chase would be a fantastic concert piece maybe it would need a a, a bit more of a bang crash ending perhaps you know <laughs> with 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 the exception of that you know, it would be a terrifically exciting thing. Uh, you know, I think we're slightly at the mercy of um, what what we're allowed to do. Yeah, to get, what, what's get published officially. Exactly, yes. what, what yeah. gets published. Um, I mean, I've, I've done, for instance, I did um, with the BBC Concert Orchestra back in December, we did um, one of my absolute favourite cues, um, A New Beginning from Minority Report. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, which, I mean, is just the most... Um, actually, I, I, I tell you a little story about this. This is I have a, a son who's just um, Felix, who's 21 months old, oh. and uh, we, uh, when I'm putting him to bed every night, uh, I always have always uh, right right from when he was born, um, just played him something three four minutes just to sort of calm him down before we put yeah. him down. Um, uh, a flight to Neverland from Hook was, yeah. was one of the favourite ones. Although we used to have to do that a bit earlier because it was sort of quite quite an exciting one. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> a new beginning from Minority Report was was one of the one of the pieces that that he just loved. I loved. Um, and and as soon as as soon as those violas start at the beginning, um, he, he he knows that that's that's bedtime. It's like a kind of signal yeah. for him. And um, I actually. Uh, when I when I got the repertoire list through for this BBC concert orchestra um, concert, and I saw it there, I sort of my heart stopped, um, and I thought, oh, I'm I'm going to have to tell them. And actually, and I did in a in a very unusually for me, I I I, I sort of apologised for being a you know big old softy. Uh, <laughs> I said, look, actually, this is this is quite a special piece to me because I, I I quite often play it to my son um, for, for for when I put him down to bed.
you know, it's. I, I mean, that's that is the thing about about John's music is that it it, it gets to everyone. You know, it it gets to the most um, seasoned, hardened orchestral player, and it and it gets to my son who who can't even talk properly yet. You know, people are moved by the music on its own. Um, I mean, actually, uh, I've just because I, I I missed the rise of Skywalker in the cinema. Mm. And so, uh, with with my wife, uh, we've we've just started watching all nine Star Wars films from the beginning, and we started yesterday um, with with Phantom Menace, and and so Felix was sitting, and of course, you know, he he knows the main title because I've played it to him a few times, um, but sitting and watching the screen, and this big yellow thing, you know, shoots across the screen, and he turned around and looked at us like what is this wow you know it was you know it was just and he just sat there for you know the first the first sort of 25 minutes just totally glued to the whole thing um and yeah i i'm i'm shocked by several things i'm shocked by how inconsequential the films can seem without the music you know one of the great luxuries of preparing film with orchestra concerts is that one has the the possibility of i can watch the film with with everything except the music and you know it's very instructive it's a very instructive process i was talking with this uh, with uh, last year with david newman and uh, and he was telling me that he often does that uh, he told me that your conductors usually are sent a, a file where you can switch dialogue sound and music and you can choose what what you can what you can listen to so sometimes you can you listen just to uh, you know, sounds and dialogue. Sometimes you turn off just sounds and dialogue and you listen movie and music without any other sound. So it's very instructive. And he told me about how uh, how transformative the power of music is, especially in, for example, E.T., the beginning, the, the opening it's, exa- it's exactly the example I would have used. And it's what I always say to people. Without John Williams, E.T. is a kind of kid on a bicycle <laughs> cycling through the air and you just kind of go oh this is this is what's this oh this is and it's almost it's almost a little embarrassing you know to, yeah. to see and then you put this music onto it and and it, it's not just that it elevates it it's not just that it, it it transforms it it becomes something else and but then you take the film away from the music and the music is still as good as it was um, but what I don't understand is how anybody, and I, and I have to say, I, you know, with the greatest respect to all the other film composers, there is no one else out there who has this ability to write music that on its own, if you, know, if, if you took the ET score and, and analysed it, how you might, you know, analyse Bartok Concerto for Orchestra or, yeah. you know, one of these, you know, top end, top end classical pieces, it's got everything. You know, it's got absolutely everything that a Wagner opera has got, and 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 yet somehow he's done all of that, and yet it it, it sort of fits with a film. I, I'm one of your other um, podcasts that I listened to. Someone said, you know, he's one in a million. I I think it's um I think it's actually more than that. You know, it's mm-hmm. really I I don't think there has ever been a a film composer who has can sort of create such magic mm-hmm. um, in in terms of the music being actually just such good pure music.
in the case of ET, uh, I was just as you were speaking, I, uh, I got to, to remember the fact that a lot of the score is actually uh, written for for very small and quiet moments. You know, he underscores, of course, the big climactic uh, pieces, uh, sequences that we we often recall. But actually, most of the score is a sort of harp concerto in disguise. You know, this is the so big harp solos that goes on and on in many sequences that say, wow, that, and that's not something you hear usually in film music, you know, harp solos or harp and, you know, clarinet and just four instruments perhaps playing. John Williams has always been so successful in finding a balance between the needs and the requests of the of the filmmakers and the film itself, and how his own instinct and personal voice was able to to get through all this. But he was often criticized for you know just regurgitating old tropes for from the classical repertoire. So nowadays the perception surely has changed. But according to you, what makes his music so so much of his own, you know, his own voice. It's it's interesting, actually. I mean, you're completely right. Um, I think many um, have to be careful how I say this. Let me say, perhaps, lazy listeners mm. um, accuse John Williams of, uh, you know, being a sort of uh, pastiche composer. I mean, I think mm. he himself has has you know sort of rather self deprecatingly. Said, said that uh, about some of his earlier things. But um, there are definitely instances where one can sense um, a temp track uh, underneath. Uh, I mean, you know, it was funny, actually, the, the um, I conducted the Writer's Spring uh, last November, and it, it screams jaws at me the whole way through. Um, but this this has happened with composers since the beginning of time it's happened and 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 actually what i think that the biggest the biggest problem with with this kind of issue if you like is that people treat it as a negative thing now the way that music works um is that music music that we've heard that we know what it means you know so let's let's say um what's what's the sort of purest example a, a pair of a pair of horns or a horn playing some kind of fanfare sort of rough triadic fanfare and we know immediately that, that it's a hunt you know there's there are yeah. horses there's animals you know you hear a pair of kind of 
or, or three trumpets, sort of herald, heraldic sort of fanfare something. Okay, we, we know that there's, you know, maybe someone important is arriving. You, you hear some sort of emotional string line. There's, you know, there's a romantic thing. None of those things is, um, you know, you can't copyright how things make you feel. You also can't yes. copyright, you know, I mean, you could go back, go back with the trumpet thing. You know, Charpentier was doing it in his Te Deum and whenever it was. Um, you know, Mahler used um, the bird song that Beethoven used. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Beethoven used, um, you know, dances that everybody knew. <laughs> um, you know, ev- you know, everybody, everybody wrote variations on, on the same tunes that everybody, you know, that's yes. how music works. It is, it is a, it's a, it's, it's a line, it's a tradition. And the, the way that music functions actually, um, is that, the, the composers of, of, of whatever time it is have taken music of the times before and borrowed it or echoed it or sometimes just, just quoted it um, because it sends a signal, it explains to people what the composers of, of the time are, are, are actually trying to express. And nowhere is that more relevant than in opera, uh, in, in, in ballet and in film. And it's happened since the beginning of time. Yeah. What John does is actually he transcends that. I mean, I, I, I have I have worked out, I reckon there are about um there are about, I don't know, say five, five, five or six or seven kind of John Williams thumbprints. Mm-hmm. Um, so textures, ideas that appear in all of his music. You know, so there's the there's the thing that you get near the beginning of ET. You know, this uh, the sort of unison strings. You know, it goes sort of dun do da 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 da. You know, sort of quite dark. You know, yeah. all sort of like kind of spiky rhythm, yeah. sort of innovative thing. Usually with you know bass drum hits in the gap, that kind of stuff. Low piano. And it's everywhere. It's in all the films. It's in all of them. Um, uh, you know, you get the big soaring melodies, you know, whether it's, you know, the Hippogriff or E.T. or Indiana Jones on his transatlantic flight. You know, it's all of these thumbprints. Um, and it may be that the music, you know, the idea, the inspiration for a particular cue came from another piece of music at, at the request of a director. But you can still know within four or five seconds that it's John yeah. Williams in the same way that any Rachmaninoff, you know within four or five seconds is Rachmaninoff or Prokofiev sounds like Prokofiev or Tchaikovsky sounds like Tchaikovsky. You know, he he takes these things and he makes them his own. And I, I, you know, that's a very, it's a very simplistic way of, of describing it, but he makes it his own. It's, uh, it, it becomes more than just someone copying an idea uh, and and becomes somebody taking an inspiration, which is something that all composers have done forever, and and translating it into his own language. And I think the people who um, who say, "Oh, well, you know, the 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 
the theme from E.T. is just the dumpy piano con- piano trio by Vorjak. Mm. Okay, well, well done you. That's very clever. <laughs> or you know, Star yes. Wars is, is King's Row. Well, yeah, very clever. Great, fine. But actually, <laughs> it, 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 um, you know, p- people don't go back and say that about Mahler, and they don't yes. go back and say that about you know all, all the other composers who've done this forever. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, I, I compose a little bit myself, um, and and it's it's. It's definitely something, you know, it gives you a foothold. Having one foot in the past enables you to try and take one step somewhere else. Um, and if there's one thing that the, I can have to be careful how I say this, if there's one thing that the 20th century has taught us about music is that the people, it is that the people who tried to do something completely new where the music that they wrote had absolutely no relevance to any music that had come before it, Mm. things turned out more or less to be dead ends or Mm. let's say places that didn't lead to such interesting emotive places as as you know the really great music that was yeah in in the last and probably was also something that was done i wouldn't i don't know if i could say against the audience if you know what i mean of course there is always communication inside these things because music is communication even the most complex and absurd piece of music is communicating something but the fact that probably some of the you know avant-garde movements that were so strong in the 1950s and 60s and 70s were so you know against expressing the music with uh you know established techniques uh and that was what was appearing to film composers like you know they are just regurgitating old things and it, it it took many years to finally appreciate what not just you know the contemporaries like john williams or Jerry Goldsmith or James Horner or the greats, but also the the, fa- the founding fathers like the Alfred Newman or Korngold or Miklos Roja, Bernard Herrmann, you know, all those incredible composers who really were able to express uh, something new using what was perceived back then as a, you know, as a dead and buried style or a dead and buried uh, expression where, uh, musically. And how much uh, John Williams is the uh, the natural hair of, of that school of composers, according to you, because you also conducted a lot of you know classic uh, film scores like Casablanca, so Max Steiner, who is considered uh, really the, the the grandfather of film music. So how much John Williams is the the natural hair and maybe the the, the acumen, the the epitome of that style of that school of composers? I think it's a very um, it's a very fashionable thing to say that um, you know um, he's he's the greatest film mm. composer ever, John Williams. I, I think it's probably true. Um, I mean, I, I know one of the things that you value about his music, and I think probably that that all, all of us who are fans of his do is his versatility and how yes. that versatility is is dispatched with a kind of lazy brilliance you know for him i mean the thing that always just just drives me bananas is the is the cartoon in jurassic park i you know it's it's um and i mean talk about one to that's fun to perform live that is i mean it's it's like two and a half minutes of you know whatever of, of utter you know mad uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really really difficult Thank you. 
It's com- stylistically completely different from everything else in the rest of the mo- movie. Yeah. But it's not incongruous. You know, it's it's somehow it's integrated, um, and uh, that that is something that I don't think anybody else has done with with quite with quite that much brilliance. Is to be able to incorporate any style and and make it coherent and also. It, you know, n- none of it sticks out. I mean, you know, you know, there's always, um, you know, the beginning of Raiders, where you know, with the spiders on the back, and the same, and all this Paleno, pa- yeah, pizzicato, and the, <laughs> yeah. you know, the double bass pizzas and things like that. Um, and and I mean, you know, or, or Close Encounters, you know, which is very kind of avant-garde, uh, you know, these clusters and all this kind of thing, and and, and then you have this stuff that's in a kind of beautiful, beautiful uh, C major, whatever, and and. And, and 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 that that just flows together. Um, and if you look back to the composers like Steiner, like um, yeah, Korngold, um, they wrote with a kind of tremendous fluency and 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 an expression, which I think is probably the sort of equal of, of what John Williams uh, has has done and is doing. Um, but I don't think they could write in so many, mm. such a kind of multifaceted, you know, a style which can, which can adapt to anything. You think of Cantina Band, you think of Catch Me If You Can, you think of Schindler, you think of Close Encounters, um, you know, all of these things. And, and none of it, you know, n- it never feels clunky. Um, and so I think in, in terms of, you know his place in in the you know the, the hall of fame of film composers it's very very difficult to imagine anybody who is well 
better i suppose <laughs> you know it's uh, there's no there's no other word for it really there's no point beating around the bush I, and and you know and i mean if 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 someone were to ask me who who my favorite composers are you know my top top three top five composers i would have no hesitation not top five film composers but top five composers I would have no hesitation in putting John Williams up there, you know, because mm -hmm. there are things like the the piece that he wrote for the um, for the Disney Hall. Is it called Soundings? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of staggering. Uh, you know, his trumpet concerto and the bassoon. You know, there are these pieces that are just amazing, amazing classical pieces. Um, and you know, he really can do it all. The thing about John's music is that it has it has entered the the consciousness of of everybody. Who, who knows any kind of Western culture. Um, you know, almost everybody knows some of his music and, and is moved by it. And I think that's not something to be taken lightly. And, and actually, I'm, I'm very, was it about, I don't know, a year, year and a half, two years ago, there was, I think, perhaps an article in the, something like the New York Times. Of course, I would have, um, I, I was thinking about it earlier in preparation for this, and I was thinking I should look up to see who wrote it. But it was, it was I think someone went to see I don't know if it was New York Phil or something doing doing Star Star Wars in concert, mm -hmm. and said, um, "Oh, actually, the music's quite good. You know, it's, quite, <laughs> it's quite a good thing." And um, and my reaction to that is not something that I will say uh, now because it's not it's not a very polite reaction. But um, you know, hello, yeah, you know, we've, we've, you know, there are some of us who've known this for as long as we've known anything about music. You know, I, I, I think in uh, I don't know, let's say twenty years time we will look back on John's life and career. He will in time be seen as a musician with the same stature as, as Verdi or Wagner. That is genuinely what I think. I think, you know, lots of people, when I say that, sort of look at me as if I'm a little bit loopy, but I, I genuinely think in a few years time, when the boundaries between opera and ballet and classical music, orchestral music and film music are further blurred than they are now, we will look back and people will just say, actually, do you know what? That was that was something extraordinary. And I think there are lots of lots of us now who recognize it as it's happening. Yeah. And you know, we feel very lucky to, you know, <laughs> what a time to be alive. But um it's <laughs> it is I mean, you know, it's you know when there's a new John Williams score coming out, you can go to the cinema with confidence to know that you're gonna be amazed. And yes. um there aren't many composers writing today for whom that's really the case. Yes, and also the fact that he really defined what is the sound of symphony orchestra for so many people, at least two or three generations now. When I speak to many different kind of musicians, not just musicians in the classical world, but all, all across the board, and how much his music has influenced and defined uh, not just you know the sound of, of of the classic orchestra, but also how how we perceive and this is what something you were mentioning before. What we perceive as something heroic in music is automatically now associated to you know to his music. It's not something easy to achieve. I mean, it's not something like it's you discover in a textbook. It's something much deeper. And the fact that his music speaks so much to so many people around the world is the fact that he's able to go deep to the mythological core and to the collective memory. So now when we listen to Star Wars, it's not just like, you know, okay, he's referencing uh, Holst or Stravinsky or Bartok or whomever. 
but he's trying he's really pulling out from something deeper which is the same place where Verdi Wagner and other greats were uh, diving into and when they emerged from that you know, magical pool this is the same place they, they did the same thing and that's why I think his music is so so powerful I would like also to briefly to, to return to a thing that you mentioned before earlier. Uh, it's about the the reproduction of the sound of the of the score because uh, one of the key elements in film music is, is really this is uh, probably more than any other genre of music is how the music sounds within the film and especially in terms of orchestral performance. And if you look at these classic scores, you know our memories of the, the movies are really tied on how the movie sounds so do you usually try to replicate exactly the sound of the original recording or do you ever try to add a different spin or change that little gesture like we were saying before yeah how much time you do you have to maybe sneak a little bit of rubato or a little bit of <laughs> ritardando accelerando changing the rhythm in in general my starting point is to find out exactly what was there on the original score and that is usually um if you can actually isolate the music enough you know we were talking about what david newman was saying about you know these conductor files we get sent where we can turn off the dialogue and the effects and the foley and everything so you can hear just the music together with the picture that's incredibly helpful because then you can actually really hear you can really hear what they're playing of course if you know somebody one of the brass players cracks a note or something's not in tune. We're not hoping to reproduce that. That's probably taking <laughs> yes. things a little far. Um, but in terms of, I mean, there are, there are a number of things that, so for instance, um, when John Williams writes a long note, uh, you know, a, a whole note or something, and it's tied over a bar line and then it will be tied to an eighth note. So it's mm -hmm. And the modern way to play that would be to play the play the, the entire note as it's printed, including the little eighth note. Yeah. But if you go back to the scores of you know people like Brahms and Elgar, what that really meant was play the long note, but come off on the little note. Don't don't play the little note. Stop on the little note. Okay. The sort of hangover from uh, from choral writing where you would put the final consonant, you would put the T or whatever it is on 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 the little note. It's a way of showing actually that the music goes until this point. Um, and 
John's scores are full of this sort of thing where he writes a long note tied to a, to a little note at the end. And if you, if you were just to take that moment, that little eighth note, and, and work out what is actually happening, very often you'll have another group of instruments who are entering at exactly the same moment. Oh. If you pile on the harmony that's tied over from the, the previous long note and the, the people who are entering, it's absolutely clear that they're not supposed to sound together it's a, because okay. it's two different harmonies that don't fit. Yeah, um, And so what you need to say to people very often is, on the original soundtrack, what they do is they play the long note and they stop. So don't don't play the quaver, don't play the eighth note. Um, and, and that's like a kind of rule for his music. Um, uh, and if you listen to the original soundtracks, that's exactly what happens. And, you know, that must be something that the orchestras, you know, in LA and London that have worked with him over many, many decades, maybe he said to them, maybe they just know, you know. Yeah. Um, um, but when you're reproducing it, it's a kind of a little detail like that. You know, and, and you know that uh, lots of lots of these things in um, uh, you get it in Jurassic Park and in Jaws, where a harp or the piano or the synth will will play a sort of unfolding, you know, four or five notes, and then there are there are four or five woodwind instruments will go donk, 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 and and they they will pick up each of the notes. Okay. Um, so it left left. It's like a sort of resonating chamber for the for the um, uh, for the keyboard instrument or the harp. And those things need really, really careful, they need love and attention. So, you know, I, when I'm rehearsing one of these films, I might, I might play for three or four minutes and, and, and really not stop. And, and, you know, if something's great and I might just say, okay, trombones, this could be a little shorter, that sounds a little late and this mm -hmm. is, you know, blah, fine, can I just check that's a G-shift? Fine, great, let's carry on. And then I might stop and work for two or three minutes on 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 one bar just to get the bong, king, bong, 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 just to get something absolutely perfectly lined up and it's not to say that it was wrong when we played it the first time mathematically it was correct but it needs to somehow sound so that the keyboard is giving the attack and as if the woodwind instruments you know there's not so that they're balanced uh, so that it's in tune so that the sounding there's not too much flute vibratos you know all this kind of all these kind of little details and suddenly when you get that right very often in the room, everyone kind of goes, oh, because suddenly you're there in the film. And, you, and, 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 and that's something that's, that's, that's a really satisfying thing about rehearsing John's music is that when it's right and it clicks, there's a feeling of it clicking and everybody, everybody knows. Um, so, yeah, I think working to kind of reproduce that, that sound, the details um, is is a really, for me, is a really big part of it. And it's one of the things that I take great pride in doing and making sure that I'm prepared. And I think um, the, the result, you know, orchestras are almost always very, very happy to, to go with you as, as deeply as you can into mm -hmm. the music because they can feel that once you get these details right, the music just rings out, it sounds and, and, and that's a feeling that everybody wants. You know, we, we want it on stage and we want it for the people in the hall listening. 
Yes, and I, I was thinking also uh, because film music probably more than any other genre is so much tied to you know the original performance and what most people probably don't know or aren't aware of is the fact that the original scores in many cases were seen as something really disposable. You know, it's just for one time performance that was going to be recorded for the film and that's it. Probably now that these scores are being reconstructed literally for, for these live performances, it's really a, a, a work of historical accuracy in many ways, I think. And, and that's why the role of conductors is even more important. Even the, if the, the copying work is done by, by the, the music service agency, uh, supervised also by John Williams himself, from what I gather. But in the end, it's up to the conductor to decide, okay, now I have to reconstruct the, the, the original performance, but in the same way, produce uh, an experience, a performance that would, will have, uh, you know, in our best hopes, move the audience and make, uh, make them feel something deep as they're experiencing, you know, when watching the film in, in, the, in the theater or at their home. So how much is important that aspect for you to, to be faithful to the to to the historical accuracy of the, of the original scores. I think that that accuracy for me is 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 really paramount. Actually, I think that's it's those details that whether an audience knowingly or unknowingly, when when they hear a score produced with that much love, it, it's going to move them because that's how the music works. I suppose the other thing to say really is that you know with all great music it's impossible to write down all the details, actually. Um, and, I, you know, I hate this word interpretation. Um, <laughs> it's something I, I try to avoid, really. I don't, I don't it, want to- It brings uh, another baggage of, you know, preconceptions and so on. It's m more, more really that it, that it implies that the conductor is bringing something clever <laughs> to, <laughs> to a performance, whereas really I hope and I, you know, many conductors say this, but I really, I really try to do it. Actually, is is really not to bring anything that I think is not implied by the music, or is not in the music, or is hidden in the music, or is you know that would have been known by the players performing that music. Um, so you know, this for me, interpretation is a, is a bit of a dirty word. But um, whatever music you're rehearsing, whether it's Haydn or Mozart or Schumann or Mahler, you know, there are decisions to be made. Um, and it's exactly the same thing in John Williams. You know, he he notates a lot, but he doesn't notate everything, um, because as you were saying, probably lots of those decisions maybe were were made or, or altered actually in the moment of of, of the recording. Um, one of the other things actually, which we haven't discussed, and it was really one of the it's one of the most challenging things about performing uh, these film scores live, is that very often you can hear on the soundtrack that the music was recorded at full volume. And then in the mix, it was just turned down. Yeah. So that um, the, you know, a whip crack can be heard or a line of dialogue or whatever. But with a live orchestra, um, sometimes, or in, in the more recent adaptations, um, the, the, the music preparation team who've, who've put the, 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 the music together for the film with orchestra adaptation have said, you know, under dialogue and, and some of the dynamics are adjusted mm -hmm. um, to, to allow for things on screen to come through clearly. Yeah. For me, usually those those things and it's maybe not quite subtle enough. Um, so I, I very I work very, very hard at working out 
where the orchestra needs to come down by how yeah. much um that also involves often having a discussion with the tech director or the, or the and, and the sound engineer uh when when you're in in the hall rehearsing um you know for, for raiders the lost ark there's a sort of 12 14 page document um that the sound engineer will have oh. you know there's a lot of noise and things and so we have to be very very careful in the orchestra that actually you can hear what's being said and very often we use subtitles um, yes they they have them of course yeah which which helps helps a great deal but nonetheless one of the things we're trying to achieve with this this art form is is a if you like a kind of cinematic balance between the music and and everything else um when there's a conflict we usually say okay that's fine we we actually can't make the orchestra any softer here because you know they're playing the trumpets are playing this incredibly high thing or the horns are going <laughs> and actually it's impossible for us to play it softly um or if we play any more softly it will begin to sound weak and that's mm. what I think they have to mm. really really guard against is we have to you know I very often say to orchestras we need to make this sound as if we are still playing full pelt but actually yeah. it can't be more than mezzo forte because otherwise we're not going to hear this crucial line you know um and again that's that's something that's that requires an awful lot of homework um and is something which is very very important when one is preparing one of these performances i'm remembering now a, a moment in jurassic park that moment when the, the helicopter arrives to the island and there's something that the theme is full blown but uh, suddenly the helicopter is coming down and it goes behind a, a hill or something and uh, then we cut inside the helicopter but Jones continues the music, the theme and just changes the orchestration to let the dialogue be heard. So his music is so full of those things and already carefully planned. That cue, um, Genesis the Island, is, is one of the most challenging. Not actually for, for the bit where it, where it goes into 4-4 and you get the, the trumpet theme, which, yeah. I mean, I would probably lay down my life and say it's, you know, one of the <laughs> top 10 greatest moments in music ever, you know, whatever. Um, but all of the 12-8, you know, the da-di-da-di-da-da-di-da-da-da-da, all of this stuff. And, you know, if you think about the, you know, the, those little trumpet flourishes, da, 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 all this kind of stuff. But there's actually, you know, all this sort of dialogue, um, uh, you, know, you know, Grant and Ellie and, you know, and, and the helicopter and the thing about the seatbelts and all this kind of stuff. It's actually, that's actually really, really difficult to bring out. And so the orchestra, you're, you're sort of encouraging them because you want it to sound, well, how it sounds. You want it to ping, you want it to sort of dance, it needs to sparkle. But it needs to sparkle quite quietly <laughs> because otherwise it, you know in, in out, outdoors it's okay i've done it outdoors and it's rather easier um because you just turn the orchestra down and you turn the sound up but in a concert hall 
um, you know, in the Royal Albert Hall or, or Symphony Hall Birmingham or something like that, um, or Bridgeport Hall in Manchester, um, where it's a very, very live hall and we have hardly any amplification on the orchestra mm -hmm. at all. You can you can only really do it in a real way by by actually you can only turn the orchestra down by asking them to play more softly. Um, I, I sometimes say to orchestras, look, um, please let's do the, the the most delicate but still exciting version of this. When we get to the end credits, it's all yours. It's a full blown. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, when that da -dee, da -da 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 -da, mm -hmm. comes back in the end credits, um, I I encourage them to to really go for it as a as a yeah. as payback for having played it all so beautifully and quietly the first time. It's it's definitely one of the challenges, and it's not always something which is solvable. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I and I'm I'm a really big fan of using subtitles. We always do it in the Royal Albert Hall. And I, I try to encourage other promoters to do it to do it wherever possible, um, because actually, you know, just the odd word that that you think you miss, and suddenly you think, "Oh, is the balance not right?" But when the subtitles are there, you hear all the words, even if you don't actually hear them. It's you know the mm -hmm. same thing we were talking about hearing with your eyes. It's 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 the same thing. Funnily enough, actually, the 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 thing that people most often say to me after a after a film with orchestra concert is um, they say, oh, "I feel." Ben, I feel so bad. I, I, after 10 minutes, I, I, I forgot the orchestra was there. I'm so sorry. And you say, no, 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 no. Yeah. That's, that's ideal. That's exactly what we're aiming for. You know, if, if people are saying that to me, then I know we've, we've achieved what we were setting out to do. Um, you know, and I, you know it's, it's really important to say that the, the job of performing one of these, these scores live to picture well is not just the responsibility of the conductor. Um, there's a huge amount of trust between the conductor and the orchestra has to work in both directions. They have to trust yes. every single movement that you make and you have to just trust them that they will follow you. But also, you know, the sound engineer and the tech team, you know, the, the first thing I do after after a film uh, is, I, you know, I get changed very quickly. And and usually in just in my, um, uh, you know, without putting my shoes on, I'll, I'll run around to the back of the hall and grab the sound guys and the techie guys and, and just say thanks to them because, you know, they're really the the, the unsung heroes. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're really a huge part of of the success of these performances. Um, if if Alan Cox, I was telling you before, if he said, look, this is too loud, I know that he knows that it's too loud. And I know also that he knows that he's only asking me because it is possible for us to play more softly. Okay. If I say to him, you know, is there anything, how, how are we doing balance-wise? Is this bit all right? You know, and he says... Well, this is thing, but you know, I know I'll do what I can. But if he hasn't asked me, it's because he knows, you know, he he's he has teched the film more times than I've conducted it. It's a process of discovery. I mean, it's it's not just like you know, uh, you do it the same all the time, and it's just you know just a gig. Yeah, but it's something that changes every time. And how much the 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 response from the orchestra changes between the various ensemble. I mean. How much the sound changes when you're conducting, say, your Covent Garden Symphonia versus, say, maybe the the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic or the City of Birmingham? Yeah, um, uh, it's an extremely interesting thing. Uh, I mean, it's always interesting as a as a conductor that that first, say, five five ten minutes that you spend with an orchestra. It's a, it's always a little bit when you meet an orchestra for the first time. It's it's like going on a blind date or I suppose having never been on one it's how I, how I imagine going on a blind date <laughs> might, might be yeah um you know you've, you've sort of you've done a bit of research in advance 
um uh but, but those first those first few minutes it's so intense it's so exciting because uh yeah, I, I i tried to conduct for as long as possible before i open my mouth so i just you know say good morning uh you know say that it's nice to be there and that we'll start from the beginning and then we just play um and you know if it's a if it's a classical program i might play through a whole symphony before i say anything to them usually with a film the first cues you know or two or three minutes i then have to stop and say something which <laughs> some you know it's it's uh, either that's lovely let's move on or um let's go back and do this this and this um but those those first those first moments are really interesting because you find out how the orchestra plays crucially for a film you find out where the orchestra plays and i mean you know in relation to my beat i mean um a year and a half ago uh, i worked for the first time uh, with the Halle Orchestra doing uh, doing Casino Royale, and I mean they are an astonishing orchestra. The sound is, I mean it's 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 like getting into a Rolls Royce. The mm -hmm. you know, I think it's probably one of the only times in my life I've never really rehearsed anything for the technical difficulty of it. They could just they can just play everything, but they enjoy playing when it feels comfortable because most of the concerts almost all the concerts that they do are straightforward classical concerts i mean actually they have a they, that's actually that's unfair they have a they have a they have a fantastic pop series um and a, a fantastic guy called stephen bell who does lots and lots of, you know they do harry potter and you know abonite they so they're really really versatile but um when we did casino that i think perhaps was apart from the snowman film, which I mentioned to you at the beginning, mm -hmm. um, this was, I think, perhaps the first time they'd done a sort of big blockbuster film, if you like. And I gave them the sort of first big hit in Casino, and it arrived, what felt to me, like about half an hour late. <laughs> and I just stopped, and I said, oh, I'm terribly sorry, you know, and I explained. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, no, sorry, we're, we're you know, we're, yeah, fine. And and now we've done uh, sort of three or four projects together, Um and and we just we just I just never have to mention it anymore because they know oh it's this guy and yep it's a film so you know and and they play so precisely for me and 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 punctually very promptly um, and but you know every orchestra plays in a slightly different place in yes. Germany orchestras tend to play slightly later um, I was quite quite surprised when I worked for the first time with the BBC Concert Orchestra uh, at the beginning of this season that you know for an orchestra that does a lot of film music and lots of things to click i felt that they played ever so slightly late not i mean not i mean i mean we're talking yeah, yeah. not in any way problematically so but i i felt the sound arrived in uh to my ears or to to how it how it felt to my physicality quite a german way quite a sort of late a very very beautiful very very together but just slightly later than i was expecting mm -hmm. and what that means is not that they need to adjust but i need to adjust mm -hmm. uh, as a guest conductor, one has to be always very, very careful to what extent you want to move the furniture around. You know, mm. if you're there for a couple of days or a day. You know, you don't want to rearrange the whole living room. You might just <laughs> would it would it be alright if we just turned this chair slightly slightly more this way around? Yeah, or or back to the analogy you were using before. It's like you know, getting used to a new car, to a different car. You know, certain orchestra maybe it feels like a you know nice uh, useful city car other feels like you know like a driving a ferrari probably <laughs> and, and and orchestras have different strengths um some orchestras have amazing amazing sounds but need a little more time 
to to get around some of the really tricky stuff. Some orchestras can just play all of the tricky stuff, um, you know, without even thinking about it. With a sort of this kind of just you know lazy virtuosity, <laughs> but that need but need real encouragement about the sound. Some orchestras can do do all of it, and and you know, occasionally it's it's a bit more of a challenge. The whole thing, but it's the, one of the joys of doing these films. More often is that I think I'm I'm gradually learning to move the furniture around a little bit less, mm. if you like, you know, just to make sure that I really get from them what I need to to stay absolutely in sync with the film. Because that's the thing I I I need to be completely comfortable, and I need to be really calm as soon as I get the slightest bit, um, uh, well, anything other than calm, it's, <laughs> it's impossible. Um, and the, the the strange thing, actually, for me, the, the biggest difference, really, I suppose, about conducting a film with orchestra as opposed to a straightforward classical concert, you know, if you're conducting Mahler 7, you have all of that buzz, all of that energy, you share it with the musicians on stage. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, if you do Azkaban, you stay ice cold. I'm really, really, you know, I, I don't, I tend not to get very hot, you know, I'm not sort of sweating, you know, just very, <laughs> literally just very, very, very calm on stage because you have to be, because all the time I'm thinking, okay, so at the moment, the orchestra's just dragging ever so slightly. Uh, I know that in a page and a half's time, there's, you know, Hermione's going to do this and we need to move a little bit here, but I need to be careful of that bar here because the orchestra always rushes a little bit in that bar so let's not overcook it you know i i i i, I, I sort of worked out that I, I need to hold three things in my mind one is where the orchestra should be in relation to the film second is where the orchestra actually is in relation to the film and then the third thing is what i need to do to get the, the, those first two things to agree with each other um and you know that's also whilst devoting part of your brain just to making sure that everything that you're hearing is as it should be you know it's very very rare in professional orchestras that people make four centuries but it does occasionally yeah and you know you just need to you know uh, listen out for that sometimes you know sometimes in a concert the brass players will get a bit enthusiastic and you just need to just very gently remind them that you know um uh accuracy is 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 more important than volume let's say <laughs> um you know there are all, all of the and particularly if, if the volume is something that you've mm. if you like kind of booked and and, and put into you know put in a tupperware yeah. pot in the rehearsal for, for later and then suddenly in the, you know but of course that's again one of the exciting things is that you can drive things faster and louder in a, in a performance than you've been able to in rehearsal because the players will have adrenaline yeah. but as the conductor for me doing a film it's incredibly important that i don't have any of that adrenaline and i just stay absolutely cold what yeah. that means is that after the concert i then can't sleep for four or five hours you know i'm always you know in prague or germany or wherever i am <laughs> awake at half past two in the morning yeah um still with all of these things going around my head um because i i get a kind of delayed reaction to all the adrenaline, yes. which which kind of hits me after the concert everybody is exhausted because they've been you know sawing away at um uh, at Star Wars for the last two and a half hours, and I'm kind of bouncing off the wall. And it's you know that's if you're if you're doing a a tour with you know seven or eight concerts um, in I don't know nine nine or ten days, that's really exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
do you think uh, we are now in a mo in an era where the, the the bridge between the classical world and the and the film music world is finally you know there is this fusion between the two worlds that there isn't not so much distinction and in this sense would you be open to maybe to perform a concert or where we can put together I don't know a suite from Prokofiev, and then we start. We play a suite from John Williams, and then we end with a I don't know with a contemporary piece from a contemporary orchestral composer. Well, in fact, it's it's funny that you should say that. Um, last uh, last May, I worked for the first time with the St. Petersburg Symphony Orchestra, and we did a first half of Ravel, Mother Goose, and uh, Prokofiev, Cinderella. And then the second half, we played the Star Wars main title, Adventures on Earth, the suite from Lord of the Rings, and something else. Mm -hmm. Essentially, a fairy tale kind of okay. yeah. Um, where the fairy tales come from the classical side and from the film side. And um, I was supposed to be there uh, a couple of weeks ago. Of course, that was cancelled because of the coronavirus thing, sadly. Um, but next year, I think I'm going back there to St. Petersburg and we are doing, um, we're doing Hulse the Planets and the whole symphonic suite from Star Wars. Mm. So, you know, the point is there are, there are orchestras who are, who are kind of brave and are doing this. I mean, actually I've been thinking for <laughs> months, it feels months, probably years now that I would really like to program um flight to neverland in a classical concert just mm -hmm. as because it's just one of the best pieces ever written i mean it's yes just, you know it's just it's astonishing why not that instead of i don't know mozorkski night on bear mountain or something yeah what we know um yeah. there are there are many many classical programs into which a john williams standalone cue could fit um, and I think the only thing that's really stopping people from do, doing that, well, there are two things. One is that if the rest of the program is out of copyright, it becomes expensive for an orchestra to suddenly have to play play one piece, which is a copyright item. That I understand. But you know, if if another if the rest of the concert has pieces that are also still in in copyright, then the the only thing that is stopping us doing that, if you like, is the uh, the sort of stigma attached to it. I mean, actually, yeah. um, in back in January with the Orchestra of Opera North, with whom I've done uh, Jurassic Park and Brass Off, we've done a couple of films. In in January uh, this year, uh, they very kindly asked me to do a concert in their classical series, and we did Max Steiner's Suite from Casablanca, um, and then the Corn Gold Violin Concerto, wow, of 1947, mm. and you know, based on all these film themes. Um, and then in the second half, um, Prokofiev, uh, some numbers from his suite from Winter Bonfire, which is again an amazing piece, not many people know. And then the 1945 suite from Stravinsky's The Firebird. There were, you know, all the composers are from a sort of fairly narrow time frame the pieces yes. were written around the, the same, same sort era, of you know yeah. sort of same within sort of 30 30 something years of each other and and the style you know you know early Stravinsky is is kind of um you know like Rimsky Korsakoff with bells on you know it's, it's <laughs> um you know it's it's just sort of luscious yeah uh, romantic Russian thing and this you know it's not a big step from that 
um, into into Steiner, and it's a tiny step from Steiner into Korngold. And you know, if you think about you know the the marketplace from Indiana Jones, it's a tiny step from um, from from Prokofiev into into that sort of film film music world. Um, I think I think there's a I think there's a real a very rich vein there ready to be explored, and I I think it just needs some brave orchestras to be willing to stop um, insisting that film music needs to go in its film music programs and just sometimes treat it just as music, just just as we play excerpts from operas and excerpts from ballets in the concert hall uh, alongside symphonies, we need to do the same thing with film music. I mean, it's, it's something that to me seems obvious, um, but um, I can understand why, why people who don't love the music as deeply as us because they don't know it yeah. um, are, are kind of resistant to it. Yeah, yeah, but it does actually takes uh, some creative uh, mentality uh, from you know from conductors like you who are able to you know maybe to do the right proposal to to symphony orchestra and their music directors, but also you know the fact that these this music is so much loved by the audience that it's kind of match made in heaven. So uh, it, it could bring also a more diverse audience to to the classical concert halls and. Everyone has something to gain from from such an approach. Uh, last last year with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, we did a really amazing program. We did a a first half of um, kind of John Adams Short Ride and Fast Machine, which I think was one of the Brilliant. best 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 pieces written in the last few years. Um, Stokowski's orchestration of the uh, of the Toccata and Fugue in D minor. Um, we played the Star Wars main title. Uh, essentially a load of pieces, classical pieces, which are used in films and, and mm-hmm. a couple of film crews. And then in the second half, we played Holst the Planets with these, it's called um, the Planets and HD Odyssey. And it's with these uh, animations, these sort of uh, projections, uh, a film from, from NASA. Um, and uh, actually it was, a, it was a sort of rather lovely experience because for once, the film followed me, so I could just conduct my own <laughs> version of the planets. Um, and um, there was a, a fantastic um, guy called um, uh, Jakob, who was uh, whose who's project it is, who, who devised this with the Houston Symphony, I think, actually. And um, and he sits with a kind of video game controller, con- controlling the rate at which the film moves, which was amazing. Um, so I, I felt great because I got all my sync points in the right place. <laughs> actually, actually, it was him, you know, um, getting, getting to, to follow you. Him, actually, <laughs> yeah, getting getting full full marks on his own video. Game, yeah. um, but but again, you know, the audience was was incredibly diverse because there were people who wanted just to hear the planets or wanted to hear some of the the, the more rarely played classical pieces like the Adams and the Stokowski. There were people who came because they wanted to hear the pieces that they knew from Fantasia. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a real mixture, and again, you know, quite quite a number of young people, and we did it in Glasgow and in Edinburgh, and they were both completely full and very well received. And I, I, I think the point is that it doesn't it doesn't cheapen anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if we hadn't had the film for the second half for the planets, um, you know, putting putting film music in amongst other other classical music. As with all music, if it's intelligently programmed, 
you know, it's possible to make a classical program that makes absolutely no sense and is not satisfying for anyone. And it's possible to do that with a film music program as well. But it's very, very easy to combine film music and classical music, but it needs to be carefully done, just, yes. just as, with, as with all programming. Yeah. It has to be intelligent and carefully done. What do you think uh, John Williams' legacy will be in the sense that we were talking before, uh, bringing new audience to the classical world, uh, and how much work it has still to be done to bring out more of his music out from the movies and more to the, to, to the concert hall? I, I would really love it if more cues from more of his films were available. Uh, for us to perform in the concert hall. I think that would be one of the best, I uh, hesitate to say advertisements, but one of the best advertisements for his his kind of diverse skills, mm -hmm. um, you know, his, his diversity and his, his um, versatility. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, really, I, I really don't think it's an exaggeration to say that in a few decades' time, we'll be looking back at the, the Skywalker saga more or less, maybe not quite the same as Wagner's Ring, but it's you know, there are there are what in the same way that the Ring is important to classical music and important to opera. Um, the Star Wars films will be that for film music. You know, in a few years' time, we will realize the influence that those nine films had, or has had, is having not only on film music, but on music for the concert hall, on everything. If someone said, would you rather conduct only John Williams or only operetta? It would, it would, be, it would be no question for me, you know. Um, and yet somehow operetta is still seen as, you know, a sort of higher art form perhaps yeah. than film music. Mm -hmm. um, and when there's a greater parity between film music and, and other classical music, I, I don't think there will be any doubt about John's legacy. Uh, I, I think uh, I think it will be difficult to see him as anything other than one of the greatest composers who's ever lived. That's certainly my opinion, and um, I'm, I'm sure most of the people listening to this would um, not disagree with me. <laughs> Thank you very much for, for your time, uh, for this beautiful conversation that we had. We touched on so many really, really interesting points and, 
and uh, so good luck for your current and future projects and let's stay in touch with each other absolutely well thank you very very much for the, for the invitation it's um, always a pleasure to talk about music that I, that I love so much um, but thank you very much for your time and all the wonderful questions thanks to Ben Palmer for his time and generosity from your host Maurizio Caschetto thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes coming soon on The Legacy of John Williams If you like the show, please consider writing us a review on Apple Music, Podbean or Spotify.